0: Amen. Thank you so much, Sister Emily. What a blessing and how appropriate of a song tonight. I want to pick back up with the series that we have been sporadically coming back to on how to pray. How to pray. I have asked the Lord to teach me how to pray. Well, like the disciples, I asked him to teach me to pray, amen? That's what they said, teach us to pray. No doubt, they sit and watch Jesus pray, and they were probably overwhelmed with the intimacy of his prayer life. And I imagine they just wondered. Is what I'm doing even qualify as prayer? And the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray. Not teach us how to pray, teach us to pray. <clears throat> and I want to say tonight that prayer is something that every single one of us, every single one of us could do more of. Amen, amen. But don't get, don't get so hung up on how to pray that you don't pray. we have we have one according to Romans 8 that prays for us, helps us pray with groanings that cannot be uttered so no matter how sloppy or unattractive your praying might be, just pray Holy Spirit will fill in the blanks and make up the gaps. <clears throat> Sometimes when I'm praying, I, was, I, 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 just, I just go ahead and say, Lord, I have no idea what I'm trying to say, but you do. Yeah. Amen. <clears throat> I have had this message on my heart for several weeks. If I had preached last Sunday night for Pastor Appreciation Sunday, I would have preached this. I was glad Brother Bearden was here. I enjoyed spending time with Brother Bearden. I was able to spend a lot of time with him, pick his brain. And uh, we had a great time each morning in the staff meetings, just get him a glass of water and turn him loose and just let him talk. And the wisdom and the insight that we were able to glean, iron sharpened iron, wasn't it good? the services for me was just a little bit of overflow. We enjoyed several hours each morning just talking to him, but if I had preached last Sunday night, I would have preached this message because we've already looked at how to pray for missionaries. That was back earlier in the last year. We looked at how to pray for young people. We've looked at how to pray for America, but tonight I want to preach on how to pray for your pastor. And uh, I'll go ahead and get this out of the way. It'd be a lot easier to preach this at another man's church. But I'm going to preach it here. Because I don't know when I'm going to preach at another man's church. And I don't want to wait this long to get this message off my heart. But I will say this, that never before have I needed your prayer like I do now. And I don't mind admitting it. Never before have men of God. God's men needed prayer like they need them in this hour. Yes, sir. <clears throat> the hurt, the heartache that preachers are going through around the country. I was on vacation last week. But I spent a good bit of time on the phone. People called needing help. Pastors called needing counsel and advice and somebody to talk to. And <clears throat> I try to be there for them. Our dear preacher friend that was with us last Sunday, they voted him out. A 200-member church, only 80-something of them even bothered to vote. 60-something of them voted him out. We're, in, we're, in, we're living in perilous times. Yes, we are. We're living in a day and age where God's men, many of them, are, are, are plowing on rock, feels like. And uh, their shoulders are tired and weary. I will say this tonight, and I meant what I said last week. And I was talking to Brother Beard, and I said, "I don't know what God's laid on your heart." And I think I threw him off, just to be honest with you. He came up here with five or six messages, didn't know which one to preach. He preached a little bit of all of them, but I take the blame for that because I told him, I said, "Don't, don't, don't think I need you to take care of my dirty work. I don't have any at our church." I said, "Our people, our people are." Behind me. Our church loves me. I said there's a couple of people that's been a knucklehead, but I wouldn't focus on them. Just focus on the fact that God's put us in a place where we can do what God's called us to do. Preach whatever God's laid on my heart. I have more liberty to preach in this church than anywhere I've ever preached. And I'm and that's saying something. And I never, ever, when I'm in my study, prepared for a message, do I think, I wonder how this is gonna go over. Never do I worry about that. Church takes good care of us. Y'all do more for us than you should. And I've got no complaints. So it's a bit easier to preach this message tonight under those circumstances. If if it wasn't that way, I might, would have to sub, sub this message out, amen. Bring somebody in and say, here, preach this for me. I'm gonna go sit down next to my wife, let them have it. But I don't have to do that. I've had some preachers call me, and they start talking to me about what they're dealing with. I said, if you'd let me come in and preach a few nights, I believe I could help you with that preacher. He said, I bet you would, but they never get me. Lord knows I'd love to hook a mule up to that stump and yank that thing out of the ground for that preacher, but I might not be able to, but I guarantee you I'd sure wear out a few mules trying, amen. But I wanna preach this tonight, not just for y'all, not just for our church, But for anybody that may be watching or anybody that may go back later and watch, and many do, most of the messages that we put up online have several hundred views, and I know most of those are from people that are not in the service. So if this would help one preacher, if this would help one pastor and his family, then it would be worth preaching it tonight. But I want to ask you to stand and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13. I want to echo what my wife said this morning in her testimony before our family, saying thank you so much, all of you for everything, the cards, the letters, so many. Um, We we had so many of them Sunday, I wasn't able to read them all, and I just took them and put them in my suitcase and we read them when we got down in Florida. And there was just so many sweet cards and letters and a bunch of text messages and pieces of money and the offering from the church. Thank you so very much for everything. We appreciate it more than we could ever begin to describe. But tonight in Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 17, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls. As they that must give account, they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that is unprofitable for you. This verse is used many times to encourage and admonish the people of God. To have the right heart and relationship toward their pastor. But many times they forget the next verse, which is what I want to focus on. Verse number 18, Paul said, pray for us. No, right. For we trust we have a good conscience and all things willing to live honestly. So I want to preach tonight on this text. I got a couple of the verses I want to look at after I pray on this thought, how to pray for your pastor. Lord, we ask you now that you would teach us a thing or two about praying, specific prayers for our pastor, those that are both here and those that may be watching online, understanding Lord, that men of God across this country need the prayers of God's people more now than they ever have before. And so, Lord, I pray tonight that you'd use this message to just be an encouragement to our people. And, Lord, let me say this this evening on the outset of the message. I'm grateful for the prayers of Calvary Baptist Church. And I'm thankful, Lord, for the many people that let me know and my family know that they're praying for us. Lord, it means the world to me. And I just pray that you'd help us tonight on this subject a little bit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for standing so very much. You can be seated. Another passage of scripture that we could look at would be Acts 12 and verse number five. The Bible says, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. So the church there in Jerusalem praying for Peter as he was in prison, Acts 12 and verse number five. It tells us that it's biblical to pray for the man of God. And then again, in first Thessalonians, Chapter five and verse number 25, several places down through there where the Apostle Paul who was writing to the church at Thessalonica was admonishing them with all of those little short commandments. Brother Bearden preached on some of those uh, on last Sunday night and talked about knowing them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, verse 12 and 13, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. But he goes on down in verse number uh, 25 and it just says simply brethren, pray for us. Brethren, pray for us. That was a a letter to the church at Thessalonica. Paul was asking them to please pray. Now this is after verse 17, pray without ceasing. And then it it was more specific or as Brother Beckham would say more pacific. Pray for us. Don't just pray without ceasing but while you're Pray without ceasing, pray for us as we labor and serve the Lord. And so, I wanted tonight to just, <coughs> excuse me if I could, by way of introduction, give you four reasons why that the preacher, the man of God, the pastor needs prayer. Number one, they need prayer because of the attacks toward their character. Yes, sir. Amen. Let me say this tonight, not, not every preacher is a pedophile. Not every preacher is a child molester. Not every preacher is a con artist. Some are. And when I see one, I call them out. There's a group of people on the internet that's, that's uh, they've got something similar to the Trump derangement syndrome. They've got the independent fundamental Baptist derangement syndrome. All they want to do is bash IFB preachers. Can I tell you something? Some of the, some of the greatest Christians I've ever met are independent Baptist preachers and their wives. Love God and serve God. Watch out for that crowd that's just eat up with bitterness and eat up with uh, animosity because they got hurt by one preacher or they was in a bad situation and all of us have, Lord of mercy. Goodness gracious, if we got out of church because we was in a bad situation, this place would be empty tonight. But can I, I want to say not every preacher fits that, fits that description. And, and Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter number four, Verse number 13, being defamed, we entreat. We were made as the filth of the world and are the offscouring of all things unto this day. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you, for though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have you not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore I beseech you, be followers of me. He said, "There's going to be a lot of people that's influenced you in your life." He said, "But I'm the one that led you to Christ. I'm the one that was your father in the faith." And he said, "We we we get talked about, and we get slandered, and we're made as the filth of the world, the offscouring, thanks to people like Jim Baker and Jimmy Swaggart and others. Yeah. We all get lumped in with one in one big lump with all these guys, but." Uh, You wouldn't appreciate it if they lumped you in with all the deadbeat Christians either, would you? I mean, everybody has their own relationship with God and we ought to be judged, each and every one of us, accordingly, but we need prayer because of the attacks toward the character that the man of God, many pastors, feel like they're paddling upstream in their community because they've had scandals, they've had things happen around them. I know a pastor that took Baptist off the church, side and I don't agree with this at all, but he took Baptist off the name of the church because the other two or three independent Baptist churches within stone's throw of the church had so many bad scandals that he didn't want to be associated with them. A lot of times when you walk in somewhere and you tell them you're a pastor, well, they don't know whether to pick up a rock or a ball bat or grab their wallet or what. I tell you, it's rough. It was so bad when I was working in construction, I was in Bible college, me and Brother David Young, that we made a point not to tell anybody we were Baptist preachers till after we landed the job. Right. Because a lot of contractors wouldn't have hired us. They wouldn't have allowed us to even step foot on their property. They wouldn't have entrusted us with a 10, 15, 20, in some cases, 50, $60,000 contract if they'd have known we were Baptist preachers because every preacher they'd ever met was a scoundrel. So we'd just show up every day and do a good job and after a few weeks, we'd get to talking to them and they were surprised to find out we were in Bible college training for the ministry. And we'd just kind of half-jokingly say, yeah, we didn't wanna tell you that. after we got started, But that's what we had to deal with. That's what a lot of preachers have to deal with. And so I wanted to just mention they need prayer because of the attacks toward their character. Secondly, they need prayer because of the animosity toward their calling. There's a lot of animosity toward the call of God on a man to preach. And it's interesting that our call is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. (laughs) And there's a lot of animosity toward that. Apostle Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter one, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear. This is the context of this verse, by the way. He's talking to a young pastor. Paul talking to a young pastor that he's trained for the ministry in verse seven of 1 Timothy one, for God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with an holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. And I remember telling the church this, I said something about it just a few weeks ago, that I ran from the call to preach, not because I didn't wanna preach, but I didn't wanna be at the mercy of Baptist all the rest of my life. I'd seen what they could do, I saw my dad, voted out of a church in the late 70s I was a little boy seven eight years old we lived in the parsonage right next to the church and I saw my dad come in there and within a couple of years pay the church off they burnt the note saw the missions program exploding people were getting saved church was growing but there was a little group of people in there they got a foot in begin to sow discord and begin to uh, rise up against my dad and I saw my dad voted out of a church I'll never forget the look on his face when he come walking out of that fellowship hall that Sunday night was we were standing in the parking lot me and my twin sister, and my little brother and my mother standing there, and my dad come walking out. My face was white as a sheet. He said, they just voted me out. He didn't see it coming. He thought he was getting a vote of confidence. And they rose up and voted him. I'm talking like 33 to 30, something like that. Split the church right down the middle. The only thing he was guilty of was enforcing the bylaws and the constitution of the church preaching the truth, never preached one false doctor, nobody could lay one finger on him for anything he ever preached, except he stood up and enforced what the Bible said, and I saw my dad voted out, and to put a bad taste in my mouth for the ministry as a little boy, and I ran from the call to preach, because I said, I don't want to be at the mercy of a bunch of Baptists the rest of my life. And God obviously overruled and called me to preach, and I'm grateful that he did. But I'm just telling you many times, preachers need prayer because of the animosity that people have towards the call of God upon their life. When I was in the construction business, my number one concern was to make sure the builder or the homeowner was happy with what we were doing. And throughout the week, I'd bring them around there. Is everything okay? you like this, Does everything look good? Is there anything you want us to change? Because they were the ones writing the check. I want to make sure they were happy. I had a builder one time walk around her and he said, This, this siding, he said, the siding is not right, the siding is not a uh, level. He said, No, the side's not level. I said, the siding is running with the house. The house is at a level. Whole foundation's at of level. From one end of the house to the other is probably an inch out of level, and you could see it. He said, Your siding's supposed to be level. I said, if I put my siding level, the whole house will go like it's falling over. I gotta run it with the house. But if you want me to tear it all off and put it up there crooked, I will. You're writing the check. Here's the problem when you're a pastor. You gotta please God. You don't always get to please the people that are writing the check. Come on now. That's where a lot of pastors will find themselves in a the quandary. Do I please the people? Do I please the deacon board? Do I please this long-tongued Jezebel in the church? Or do I please the one that called me? That's why a lot of preachers have stopped preaching. But you need to pray for them because of the animosity toward their call, and Thirdly, you need to pray for them because of the apathy toward their care. The care of the church is a thankless job many times. Many times. Paul used that word several times. Once in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. 28, besides those things which are without, he'd give this long list of things he had to deal with, the, 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 uh, the beatings and the, and, the, and the beatings and the shipwrecks and, and the attacks from his countrymen and false brethren, all these things. And when he got done talking about this whole list of stuff that he had to endure and deal with, at the end of it, this long list of very, very descriptive and painful experiences that he dealt with, he said, And besides all this that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches, that care. The care of the church, somebody's gotta care. I preached a message on that a few months ago. where Paul talked about Timothy and Philippians two. They would naturally care for your state. It's hard to find somebody that consistently cares enough to do something. And the pastor cares. And because he cares many times, puts him at odds with people that don't care. Some people don't care. And we talk about a lot of things. They don't care if half the lights don't work. They'll come in here and sit down and go to church. It won't bother them a bit. The air conditioner's not working or the toilet's clogged up. It won't matter if the parking lot needs to be repaired. It don't matter to them. It don't matter if sin creeps in. It don't matter if the youth group's going to hell on, in a handbasket. They don't care if the music is compromising. They don't care if you change Bible versions. They don't care. Some people just don't care, but somebody's got to care. Somebody has to care. A lot of times preachers need prayer because of the apathy that they have to deal with of people towards their care. They look at the fact that he cares as the fact that he's overbearing or annoying. He's always he's always, always, talking about something, always worried about something, always trying to fix something when well, somebody needs to. And then in 1 Timothy 3, 5, he used the word again, for if a man don't know, know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? This His job is to take care of the church. That's a pretty broad, a pretty broad uh, scope, but you have to care. You need to pray for them because they, try, they care and sometimes people they're working with don't care. I got that many leadership books in my library in there. I mean, I, I probably got that many. Half of them is by John Maxwell, probably one of the leading authorities in the country on leadership. You go through and read some of those books and some of those things he says about leadership doesn't apply to the ministry because he says you need to hire a team of winners. You need to surround yourself with people that are driven and motivated. And I thought, well, if you're a Baptist pastor, you just work with what you got. Right. 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 <laughs> what do you do if half of them's asleep? What do you do? Huh, what do you do? can't fire people that work for free. All I'm saying is the role of a pastor is unique because of the care that has to be there. And then fourthly, pray for your preacher because of the aversion toward their counsel. I found this out years ago. People don't want advice, they want approval. They already know what they want when they come to your office. They just want you to rubber stamp it and sign off on it so they can feel better about it. But if you're a God-called preacher and you throw a flag and you go, uh, uh, hang on just a second, um, that, that's, that's, that's contrary to Scripture. Then they get upset. They get mad. I'd like to have a dollar for every time somebody got mad at me during counseling and never came back to church. And all I was doing was trying to help them do what they said they wanted me to do, make the right decision. They'd already made their mind up. Or many times they make their mind up that they never even ask for your advice. And here's what they say. Well, I knew what you were going to say. I knew what you were going to say. Isaiah chapter 30, verse nine and 10, He said that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord, which say to the seers, S-E-E-R-S- seers, that was the prophets which say to the seers, see not. See the irony of that? He's called a seer. His job is to see. And they say to him, don't see. And to the prophets, prophesy not. Unto us right things. Speak unto us smooth things. Prophesy deceits. That's what it says. They say to the seer, see not, to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things, prophesy unto us smooth things. What am I saying? I'm saying you need to pray for the preacher because of the aversion toward their counsel, there's nothing to make a pastor's stomach not up anymore than somebody saying, I need your advice about something, but you already know they've already made up their mind, and now it's just all going to come to a head, and you've got to confront them and tell them that what you've already made your mind up to do is the wrong thing to do, which is why a lot of preachers just go ahead and go along with it. They go along to get along. Let me give you four points this evening about how to pray for your pastor. Number one, pray for him to be able to discern the will of God. If there's any, any area of ministry that I desire prayer, that I covet prayer, it is in the area of being able to discern the will of God for this church. Now let me say this, God communicates his will for the church as a whole to the pastor. All right. Now, God will communicate his will for you personally through the Scripture and through the Holy Spirit and through prayer. Amen. You can find God's will for your life. Amen. Come on now. All I can do is either, like I just said, either reinforce what God's will is, or try to show you that what you're saying is God's will is not God's will if it's contrary to scripture. But many times people come to me and say, I feel like this is what God wants me to do. I've prayed about it. I've got scripture for it. I've got peace. I feel like the Holy Spirit wants me to do at that point as a pastor, I take a step back. I believe in the priesthood of the believer. Amen. I believe in the soul priesthood. Listen to me. you. Get with God about God's will for your personal life. I cannot overstep my role as a pastor and step in between you and the Holy Ghost. But I will tell you this, when it comes to matters pertaining to the church, God will speak to the pastor about his will for the church as a whole. He's not going to come to you. That's right. Amen. That's not to say that you can't feel good about it or not feel good about it. But you'll have to just trust the pastor many times to know that he's discerned the will of God for the church, for the direction of the church. And I'm grateful in this church, I'm grateful that God has given me a church full of people that allow me to exercise my discernment to follow what I believe to be the will of God. I'm grateful for that, I'm grateful for that. And I don't take it lightly. I don't take it lightly and I don't care if it's something small or something big. I don't care if it's just getting up here and saying, I believe we ought to rip this platform out and build another one. Everybody's like, Amen, let's do it. I did that one Sunday, and before the night was out, we had the money. Yeah. Or, you know, saying like, we need to we need to expand the sound booth. Everybody's like, Amen. The preacher says we need to expand the sound booth. We need to expand the sound booth. Let's do it. You don't see little pockets of people discussing whether or not we ought to. To expand the sound booth. Trust me, if we didn't have to, I wouldn't want to. I'm mean, going to end up doing probably a lot of it myself. But it's got to be done. It takes a little bit of money, a little bit of work, but it'll be a blessing when it's done. And there's things like that. Stand up and say, I believe we ought to try to put a missionary in every country on the planet. I mean, what crazy preacher would have an idea like that? Calvary Baptist Church said, let's do it. I walked in here one Sunday, I said, we, guys, if we don't fix this parking lot, we're going to all have to get four-wheel drives. Remember that? Potholes in the parking lot that big, I mean, old people tripping and falling. And I got a four wheel drive, I was, I'm good. Some of y'all driving little rice rockets and it was ripping stuff out from under your car. And I said, I believe we ought to pave the parking lot, fix the parking lot, We're looking at $105,000 and we had a secret ballot vote on a Sunday morning and 100%, let's pave the parking lot, praise God. In three months we had the money and the parking lot was done, that's a blessing. I wasn't even sure y'all were Baptists after that unanimous vote. <laughs> I wasn't even sure, you. I don't know what y'all are, but you ain't Baptist. Baptists can agree on anything. I can stand up here story after story of things I feel like these are things that God leads us to do. When everybody else was trying to shut down churches, I'm like, let's keep, let's keep doors open, let's open, up, open back up. I had pastor friends that couldn't reopen because their church would have voted them out. Some of them did. I heard of a pastor in Georgia got voted out over face masks. They run him off over masks. All I'm saying is, discerning the will of God is something that the pastor needs prayer to be able to do. Building programs, we're trying to build a building over here, right? We just pacing ourselves, all right, because we. We ticked off the building inspectors. <laughs> we got to find from the very people we need to get back over here and make sure everything is right. So we kind of hope they forget. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> building programs and ministry changes. Yeah. Yeah. For years, this church had RU ministry on Friday night. We shut it down. And I didn't get liberty to reopen it. And then God redirected us to the discipleship program, the principles of growth. And the church was up. Hey, man, That's wonderful. Let's do this. Praise the Lord. I'm in mean, a complete a complete ministry change, but I didn't feel a lot of pressure from the church about that. I was able to follow the leadership of the Lord. I'm, all I'm saying is managing the assets and the finances of the church and, and overseeing that aspect of it. That's, that needs. I need wisdom. I need wisdom. Major decisions, staffing, Leadership is personnel. Moving people around from one place to the other. There's the old saying, you gotta get all the right people on the bus. Right. Then you gotta get everybody on the right seat on the bus. Right. Amen. Sometimes that takes a, takes a few uh, trips around the mountain to figure out what seat everybody needs to be in. But all I'm saying is it requires leadership and discernment from the Lord to be able to make those decisions and. Here's another big one, when and where to draw the line with people and problems in the church. Everybody's got an opinion about how much leeway this person ought to have. I've had people come to me and say, I think you ought to, I think you ought to make them sit down. I think you ought to pull them down. I say, I think you ought to let me handle it. Yeah. Give them a little bit more rope. They'll either hang themselves or get right with God, one of the two. But let me handle it. Give them, a little bit, give, give them some mercy. Show them some long-suffering. Give them a chance to grow. Give them a chance to mess up. There's been sometimes I pull people out and they say, I don't think you ought to handle it like that. And I say, well, I didn't ask you what you thought. I did what I felt like God wanted me to do. And I'm not being a smart aleck. I'm just telling you, there can't be one person Pastor pastor this church and right now it's me. And I lay in the bed at night asking God to give me wisdom to handle situations. And sometimes you have to go to people and say, hey, listen, I love you. (laughs) But we don't do that around here. We don't do that. And this is how we do things, all right? Either you get on board or you find another church where you can get on board so you can grow. I don't wanna be the one guilty of holding you back, but, but uh, you're gonna to have to make your mind up. Either get on board or go somewhere else. Yeah. A lot of times church members, they say, I don't know if pastor should have handled it like that. Well, first of all, you don't know everything right. that he knows. I'm not gonna print out all the emails. I'm not gonna print out all the text messages. I'm not gonna record all the hours in the office trying to help somebody get it together. But when they decide they don't wanna get it together, sometimes the pastor has to make a decision. And I think I know y'all well enough that you'd rather me just handle it than come in here on a Sunday morning and ruin the whole service by telling you about all the problems. Because when it's over with, you're gonna agree with me anyway. I'm just saying as a pastor, the pastor needs wisdom to be able to discern the will of God. And you know what you can do? You can pray for the pastor to have wisdom. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth all men liberally and upbraideth not. The daily struggle of the pastor is to be able to discern God's will for the church. Number two, write this down. Pray for the pastor to be able to declare the word of God. I don't know that I've got these four things in the proper order. We'll just get to them as we get to them. But I will say that I believe the greatest work of the pastor, the preeminent work of the pastor, is the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Yeah. All the admin, all the leadership, all the decision-making, the visiting of shut-ins and, and, and widows and, and paying bills and, and, and hiring and firing, all that comes after the number one job of the pastor is to preach and teach The word of God, 2 Thessalonians chapter three, verse number one, here's what Paul said. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. Pray that the preaching and the teaching of the word of God will not be obstructed is what he's praying. Pray that there won't be anything to hinder the preaching and trust me when I tell you the devil does everything he can to hinder the preaching of the word of God. I could give you a list this long of the things that the devil does to try to hinder the preaching of the word of God. Whether it starts back yonder when I'm trying to pray and the phone's ringing or somebody's beating on my door, or I'm trying to study and things are happening and and, and distractions are happening, or it's to keep you from coming to church, to keep you from coming here, come on now. Or while you're here, the person in front of you is playing on their phone and distracting you or getting up going to the bathroom every five minutes. There's always things to hinder and obstruct the word of God. But the apostle Paul said, pray for us that the word of God would have free course. And of all the things that I do during a week, the greatest ministry that I have as your pastor is to stand behind this pulpit, open this Bible right here, and tell you what thus saith the Lord. That is where I need you to pray for me. Pray for me that God will give me the messages. Pray that God will give me exactly the message for the hour. Amen. I got it from the dinner table this, this, this afternoon after eating lunch, I told my wife, I said, pray for me. I said, I'm headed back to the office. They were all still sitting at the table when I left. I said, pray for me. I got two thoughts. I gotta get settled on which one to preach tonight. This has been on my heart for several weeks, but I had another thought on my heart. I said, Lord, I wanna preach the message tonight that you want me to preach tonight because I'm just just the kind of person that believes God has a specific message for a specific people, for a specific service. I don't reach in a hat and just grab one and pull it out. I wanna have the right message. And I need you to pray for me that I will. Apostle Paul desired to preach the truth more than he desired to be loved and liked by his people. In Galatians four, verse 13, he said, you know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. And my temptation was in my flesh, which was in my flesh, he despised not. Paul had a physical problem. He had a physical illness. We could talk about what it was, but it's irrelevant at this point. Paul had physical health issues. And he says, through my infirmities and of the flesh, I preached the gospel unto you. And my temptation, which was in my flesh, he despised not nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Even with my health issues and whatever it was that was limiting him physically, he says, when I got to preach, you listened to me like I was an angel sent from God. Then in verse 15, he said, where is then the blessedness you spoke of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Am I therefore become your enemy? Because I tell you the truth. The pastor is one of the few people in the world that gets I hate to use this phrase because it makes the pastor sound like an employee, but they, they, he, gets, he gets paid to tell people the truth only for them to get mad at him when he does. Right, right, right. Imagine getting mad at your doctor because he told you you got a lump on your, your, uh, your, your breast or you've got, a, you've got a, a clot on your lungs or you've got something wrong with you, and get mad and slam the door and walk out and, and cuss out the doctor or get mad at the mechanic for telling you you need work done on your car. Paul said, am I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Amen. What it tells me about Paul is Paul was more interested in preaching the truth than he was being loved. And don't think that some preachers don't struggle whether or not to tell the truth because they want to be loved and people in any sense want to be liked and want to be loved. They don't know they want to be hated. You get up in the pulpit and you start preaching and going, what you're telling people they don't want to hear and know that's going to create, create problems and stress and strife. A lot of preachers they'll just back off. They just won't say it. That's right. They just won't say it. Churches are filling up with preachers that won't say it. Amen. Paul renounced dishonesty and craftiness in 2 Corinthians chapter number 4 verse 1 and 2. Therefore seeing you, we have this ministry as we've received mercy we faint not. Watch this, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. We got people today handling the word of God deceitfully. We got preachers today that are getting up in the pulpit, opening the Bible and preaching lies. Distorting the truth, leaving out key things, adding stuff, taking stuff away, changing, distorting. Paul said, we've renounced that. We've renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. We're not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. What a statement, the Apostle Paul. We need prayer to rightly divide the word of truth. Have I ever got from the pulpit? If I got up in the pulpit and made a statement that was probably not biblically correct, no doubt I have. As long as I've been preaching, I'm sure I've got several things wrong. But I can tell you one thing I've never been guilty of is willingly and purposefully deceiving or lying or twisting the scriptures to make it say what I want it to say. That's what the Bible says in the book of James, be not many masters knowing we shall receive the greater condemnation. The more you speak, the more you talk, the more you preach, the more you teach, the more you have to give an account for. Much as I preach, I'm sure sometimes I get things crossed up, but the truth of the matter is I can say with a clear conscience tonight that I'm desirous of preaching the truth. There have been times I got up in the pulpit and said, you know, I I, I read read that passage of scripture again after I got back to my office and I, I might need to make an adjustment on that application or that interpretation. Paul asked for prayer, for boldness to preach. Right. Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul. Ephesians 6, here's what he said in verse 18 praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Watch this, and for me. He's carrying that thought about praying. All, praying all the way with all prayer and supplication and for me, pray for me that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in bonds that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. He says, I'm already in jail for preaching. Pray that while I'm in here, I don't lose my backbone. <laughs> pray that I'll have the same boldness in here that I had that got me in here. There may be a day Pastor Schiff's in jail for preaching. In this country, I can see it happening. I told you before, I look good in orange. I ain't worried about it. I'll get my, I'll iron my orange jumpsuit, put a crease right down the pants' legs, and I'll preach in jail. Amen. Paul said, pray for us to be able to declare the Word of God, the greatest. The greatest calling in the world. Yes, sir. I heard, it say all, I heard it said all my life. I didn't understand it, but I do now. I would have to step down from the ministry to serve as the President of the United States. Yes, sir. Amen. Amen. It's the greatest calling in the world. Thirdly, write this down pray for the preacher to have the ability to display the ways of God. There's a constant weight on the shoulders of the pastor and his family to set an example for the church. I'm not preaching this message tonight to try to get any sympathy. That's not at all what I'm trying to do. I'm saying I need prayer. Me and my family, we need prayer. Hebrews 13, 18, the text that we looked at tonight, he said in verse 18, pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience in all things willing to live honestly. Pray for us. We want to live a Christian life. We want to be an example. Look at what he said in verse seven. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, watch this, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation, or considering the end of their life, their lifestyle, if you will. Look at their life, look at at their conversation, and let that add a little bit of validity to their message. Whose faith follow. It's, it's, not, it's not easy living for God in 2021. Can I get a witness right there? It's, it's a challenge to stay right. But the pastor and his family have the added responsibility of having to set an example for the entire church of how a Christian is supposed to live. We need your prayer. That's all I'm saying. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 12, Paul told Timothy, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers. Timothy was a a young pastor. Be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Sometimes we get it wrong. Sometimes we fail. Sometimes we stumble. Sometimes we have a, we we, we call them senior moments. Sometimes we have a carnal moment. But as a pastor or somebody that's in my family, We don't have the luxury of rolling around in it. Come on now. People are constantly watching. People are constantly listening and they see and they hear everything and the pressure on the pastor and his family to set the spiritual temperature and to hold up the standard in the church that never ends. And you can live for God or get cold and indifferent and the church may roll on. The pastor or his family gets backslid or cold and indifferent. There's some serious repercussions. Right. My family must follow me or I'm disqualified from being the pastor. Amen. Yep. Right. I still believe that, by the way. Amen. My children have had to live in my home their whole life knowing that they could disqualify me from doing what God called me to do. Now, I don't care who you are in here and where you work, your kids can climb the wall, you know, set the cat's tail on fire next door, and you don't get fired. You don't lose your job. A pastor has to have his home in order or he can't work where he's working and pastor where he's pastoring and be biblically correct. Right. Amen. My wife and children must follow me or I can't be your pastor. That's why we're on the top of the prayer list on this tonight. 1 Timothy 3, 4 and 5 the qualifications of the bishop, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? What a statement. We got men sitting behind pulpits today. They're not qualified to pastor. And they're tremendous Christians as far as their personal walk with God and their prayer life and their Bible study and their messages are, are tremendous, but they're disqualified because their wife or their kids at the house doesn't line up with the word of God. All I'm saying is they need, we need prayer. There are things that my family will not ever do that may or may not even be wrong. The pressure of my children to not be able to do certain things, I make that decision. As long as they live in my house, they don't always have a choice. I said, as long as they live in my house, they don't have a choice. You say, well, there ain't nothing wrong with that. Well, that's what you think. But see, I've got to set a standard. I've had church members tell me. I've had church people tell me to my face that we don't believe that this is wrong, but we're so glad that y'all don't do that. Okay? We don't do it. I'm not going to do it. My family's not going to do it. But we're really glad that our pastor and his wife and their kids don't do it. And I think, well, there's one Bible There's one set of rules. Come on now. Don't wad up on me. It's a little bit unnerving. But basically what they're saying is we we want to live down here, but we're really glad that you're trying to live up there because you're our pastor. Okay. Amen. Well, we all got the same Bible. I can't find two sets of dress standards. One for the pastor's wife and one for all the rest of the women in the church. If you can show me that in the Bible, I'd love for you to show me that, but good luck with that. You ain't going to be able to do it. There's not two sets of rules in the Bible about the kind of movies and music that I'm supposed to watch and listen to and movies and music that you and your family get to listen to. (laughs) Feel it getting tight in here? Some of y'all are wadding up and you're not even the pastor. There's We grew up, I grew up in a pastor's home. My wife grew up in a pastor's home. We grew up having to live above reproach. The qualification of the bishop is that he'd be blameless. That word blameless means you can't put a a handle on it. You can't put a name on it. If he lies, he's a liar. If he commits adultery, he's an adulterer. If he steals, he's a thief. He's gotta be blameless. We grew up in the ministry, in the children in the ministry knowing that we could disqualify our dad. My wife's dad will tell you, David of Young will tell you there were times that his daddy looked at David Young and said, if you don't straighten up, I'm going to go back and resign Sunday. (laughs) The pressures of a pastor's kid. David said, I wanted to go sow some wild oats, but I love my daddy too much. Come on now. What am I saying? I'm just saying pray for the preacher, pray for the preacher, pray for the pastor, pray for his family, that they will demonstrate, display the ways of God before the church. Again, we're not perfect. My family's not perfect. My marriage is not perfect. My children are not perfect. We need prayer to be able to be the leaders and examples that God would have us to be. And we know, I know that if I set the standard for me and my family here, that most people in the church will settle for down here. If I drop it to here, then they'll be down here. So in order to have the highest standard in the church, me and my family have to have the highest standards in our own personal life. And what is encouraging is when people in the church understand that maybe instead of settling for this, maybe we ought to strive for up here. Maybe we ought not to hang the pastor's family out to dry and let them be the only ones in the church trying to live right. Maybe we ought to come along beside them and help them so the preacher's kids don't look like a bunch of screwballs. Come on now. Amen. Amen. Our young people get up and sing a song, I missed out on the heartache of living my life in sin. We put up a hedge around about our young people so they do miss out. We want them to miss out. Amen. There's things we don't want them to experience and ever learn about never know about. Number five, number four, I don't know how long I've been preaching. I didn't look at what time it was when I started. Just pretend I'm a guest preacher and the pastor told me to take all the time I need. <laughs> number four, write this down. Pray for the pastor to be able to direct the work of God. In Acts chapter 20, in verse 28, Paul said to the Ephesian elders, Take heed therefore unto yourselves, To all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which hath purchased with his own blood. An overseer in that verse. That word literally means a man charged with the duty of seeing that things are done by others that are done rightly. A curator or a guardian or a superintendent. Overseer. It's not the pastor's job to do everything, but it's the pastor's job to make sure that things that are done get done right. And that is a, that is a broad, broad, I mean, that is a wide, wide spectrum of things. I've got probably two pages of stuff that has to be done before Sunday morning service. Right, Brother Adriel? Two th- pages of stuff that I want done before y'all ever even get here. And then the service and the song service and the ministries over there. And everything, everything, that is my responsibility to oversee that. You heard Brother Bearden say it. It's been said for years. But Lee Robertson, I think, is the one coined the phrase. But I believe it. I agree with him. Everything rises and falls on leadership. There's a lack of leadership in this country. There's a lack of leaders. Nobody wants to lead. I said before, if you're a leader, lead. If you're not, get out of the way. We've got people trying to lead. They're not leading. It drives me crazy to see somebody in a leadership position and won't lead. Daddy, you're the leader of your home, lead lead your family. You say, I don't want to, you got to. Somebody will if you don't. There's a vacuum. Somebody will fill it. We got churches today that don't have there's a lack of leadership. We had people visit in our church. We had people at our church this morning. Their churches are shut down again. They've shut down all their children's ministries, the nurseries, buses, Sunday night services, all of it. And the statement that was made to me is, and I'm quoting this, our pastor just doesn't have a backbone. I didn't say that, they did. I don't know the guy. But I agree with them. If all they said was true, I agree with them. There's no cause to shut down churches. There's no cause to be shutting down churches, I said. And we're not shutting down this church. I don't care if they pass an executive order tomorrow that says can't but 10 people or 50 people or 100 people, I tell them they can stick it in their ear, we're gonna keep doing what we're doing. Amen. We're not shutting down the church, we're not shutting down ministries. Pray for me to have wisdom and strength and courage to direct the work of God, this is God's work. It ain't my church. He told them, said, you're the overseer of the flock of God which he purchased with his blood. Let me, let me put this in perspective. God gave me this last week. Let me, get, let me put this in perspective for you. Some of y'all, when you walk in the front door of your house, you have no problem wiping your feet on the carpet. You ain't no problem, have no problem leaving the refrigerator door open. You don't have no problem doing things. You just live home. But I guarantee you, if I said, I'm going to be gone for a week and I want you to come stay at my house, I guarantee you, you'd be a little bit more particular about how you handled my house than you would even your own. Am I Right. You'd make sure that you didn't drip oil all over the, park, all over the driveway. You'd make, sure, you'd make sure everything was just right because you're watching my house for me. Right. Well, guess what? This ain't my flock. This is the flock of God. If it was my flock, I'd let some stuff go. But it's not my flock, it's his flock. He put me here as the overseer. So I gotta be careful and I make sure that I respect that it's his flock, which he purchased with his blood. And there's some things I can't tolerate. I could if it was mine, but it's not. Right. It's his. It hit me last week that if I was standing in your house and I scuffed up your floor, I'd fix it. If I scraped something, I'd fix it. If I scuffed the wall, I'd paint it. At my house, I'd probably leave it for six months. (laughs) This ain't my church. You don't belong to me, you belong to him. This church belongs to him. And the Holy Ghost, through the working of God, made me the overseer of this church and the responsibility to direct this church is overwhelming. I need prayer. Amen. That's all I'm saying. In our text this evening, I'm almost done, chapter 13, verse 17, the pastor's the one that will stand before God and give an account for the church. Yeah, right, right. The pastor is. Stand before God, give an account. I'll give an account for how I pastored, and I'm going to give an account for how you let me pastor. Right. If I read it correct. Obey them to have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls. That they that must give an account, they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that's unprofitable for you. I'm going to give an account for both of us. The stewardship of the pastor will one day be judged by God. Pray that God will give the preachers and pastors the wisdom to direct the work of God and oversee the work of God correctly. It involves a lot of things, a lot of moving parts here at Calvary Baptist Church. Huge ministry. I've said it before, I said, man, with no more people than we got, I can't believe we have to have the staff we've got, but I don't know how we'd get it done if we didn't. We got so much going on, so many ministries, so many moving parts, so many outreaches, so many things that we're trying to do, so many hooks in the water, we're trying to do so much for the Lord. It involves a lot of decisions. Sometimes I come home, my wife says, what do you want for supper? I said, baby, I've been making decisions all day. I don't care what we eat, just whatever you cook's fine with me. I want to turn my brain off for a little while. All I've done all day is fix things and make decisions. And I cannot do that in the power of the flesh. I don't even want to try. Every day, people knocking on my door, staff coming to my door, problems coming to my door. I have to make decisions. Sometimes I just feel like Solomon with that little baby. Just cut it down the middle. Cut it down the middle. It's tough. It's tough. And I need prayer. I need you to pray for me. Um, I preach this message tonight hoping that when you pray for Pastor Shiflet, it's more than just pray for the preacher and blow on through it. Just take a minute and pray for me, will you? Pray for my wife. Pray for my children. The pastor's wife is one of the most, uh, one of the, I'm not saying that about this church, I'm talking about in general. Pastor's wife is one of the most unappreciated people on the planet. The work that they do is never seen. I'm thankful for this church. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for the place God has put me, the vineyard that God has put me to serve and labor in. But I cannot reiterate it enough tonight. I need prayer. Sister Emily sung that song, I will talk to the Father for you. And if I know my Father, here's what He'll do. He will lay at your feet all the things you pursue. It's no bother, for my Father will do it for you. God's given me dreams and visions for this church. We'll be able to do it together through prayer, amen. With heads bowed, eyes closed, musicians are coming. Would you, would you, just, would you slip into the altar tonight? Could I get you to do that? Just pray a special prayer for me, my wife, my children. The best of men are men at best. Without the filling of the Holy Spirit, without the unction, without the anointing, I'm no more capable of pastoring this church than anybody in here. But with God's touch, God's spirit, God's power, God's anointing, together we can watch God do amazing things.